For the past couple of weeks, we've applied our teaching over the fall on biblical manhood and womanhood specifically to the context of the home. And we've looked at, you know, what does God require? What does He uh, instruct us on in terms of how to be godly men, how to be godly women in the home? And so today and then in two weeks when we come back together, we're going to look at, again, applying what we've learned about biblical manhood and womanhood and applying it uh, in, in the context of the church specifically. So as we look at two main views that differ from one another uh, when it is regarding biblical manhood and womanhood, uh, we think about egalitarianism and we think about complementarianism. How many of y'all have heard those terms before? We're going to look a little bit more specifically and in-depth at those terms today. We've mentioned them briefly in other lessons, but uh, let's go further with it. So egalitarianism is a theological framework, a theological view that people are equal before God, but without gender-based limitations or specifications on what function or roles each can perform in the home, in the church, and in society. So essentially, people that subscribe to this theological framework believe that man and woman are created equal in God's image, but there's no distinctions in terms of roles or functions within the home, church, or society. On the other hand, complementarianism is a theological view or framework that believes all people are created by God. Sounds familiar so far, right? But the difference is they believe that they were created, men and women, to complement one another in the home, in the church, and in society. So while both viewpoints affirm wholeheartedly the equality of men and women, they differ when it comes to whether there are God-given distinct roles, duties, and functions. Well, the first organization in the world to advocate for Christian egalitarianism was Men, Women, and God, which was established in the United Kingdom in 1984. Uh, The American version of this organization called Christians for Biblical Equality was formed in 1987. The mission statement, listen to this, from this organization, Christians for Biblical Equality, reads, and I quote, CBE exists to promote biblical justice and community by educating Christians that the Bible calls men and women to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. According to its website, CBE is a nonprofit organization of Christian men and women who believe that the Bible, properly interpreted, teaches the fundamental equality of men and women of all ethnic groups, all economic classes, and all age groups based on the teachings of Scripture. This is where they get it from, such as Galatians 3.28, which says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians 3. And the question that we're going to answer initially is, if we are complementarians, how are we to refute their view from Galatians 3.28? Well, in order to do so, we've actually got to look back at Galatians 3, beginning in verse 23, which reads, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned under the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, 
in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The egalitarians will look at Galatians 3.28 and just take that one verse and say that because all were created equal, that means all are created in uh, equal partnership to share authority in all realms. But if you look at this verse in the context of the other verses around it, what are these verses speaking about? Salvation, right? So it's not specifically talking about authority or leadership within the home or church or society. It's talking about salvation. Much like, you know, Revelation would say, from every tongue, tribe, and nation, right? So salvation extends to all peoples of all lands, male and female, but this passage is not specifically talking about leadership in the local church. It is rather talking about salvation as a whole. Now, let me go on. CBE, that's the Christians for Biblical Equality, believes that ordination for eldership and teaching roles in church services are not just for men, but women and can also be equally ordained as pastors and elders. They also believe, this is interesting, that headship and marriages are for the older spouse and not for husbands alone. So I guess that means that if you're a young man and you want to be a leader in your home one day, that you're going to marry a younger woman, right? But if you want to abdicate that role, you're going to certainly be searching for an older woman to lead your home. That's the view. Now, CBE exists to broadly communicate that all believers, without regard to gender, ethnicity, or class, must exercise their God-given gifts with equal authority and equal responsibility in church, home, and world. Well, it's a popular belief today, and so it's no surprise that that egalitarian theological framework uh, includes members from over 100 different denominations in over 65 countries. It should also come as no surprise that the following denominations endorse some form of egalitarianism. You have the Quakers, the United Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians, which is a a smaller group of Presbyterians that pulled out of the PCUSA a few years ago. If you go to their website, actually the homepage, it says egalitarian. Also, Northern Baptist, Church of the Nazarene, the Wesleyan Church, the Evangelical Covenant Church, and some Pentecostal churches such as the Assemblies of God, the Foursquare Church, and the United Church of God. So they want to basically say that all women and all men are created equal, and so they all have equal standing in terms of leadership and authority. Susan Hunt actually writes, Our conviction is that egalitarianism devalues God's creation, design, and redemptive calling of women. It fails to do justice to the distinctions that exist between men and women. 
it wrongly equates any acknowledgement of role distinctions with inequality and discrimination. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, she and Ligon Duncan, a son of this church, co-authored a book that I would commend to you years ago, written Women's Ministry in the Local Church. So, in response to the egalitarian movement and framework that was created in the mid-80s, the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood was created in 1987, largely to refute the more liberal views from mainline denominations. The Council affirmed complementarianism, that both believe that believe that both male and female are created equal, that God has designed them to be equal, again, in their dignity and personhood, but different from and complementary to one another, with all Christian husbands called to lead their homes in self-denying, sacrificial love, and qualified male pastor, teacher, elders called to lead the church. Well, they created a document in 1987 called the Danvers Statement. I've got a couple of copies uh, on each table. Feel free to take that if you like. But it was written to articulate and confirm, affirm, complementarianism. John Piper was one of the original authors, and he says the Danvers Statement unfolded and commended complementarianism over against egalitarianism. The focus was on the meaning of manhood and womanhood as expressed in the marriage relationship and then in church leadership. The main point, as you'll see in reading through that, was that God has called men to be Christ-like leaders in their marriages, what we've seen the last few weeks, and also to be those who bear the special responsibility of authoritative teaching and leadership in the church, 1 Timothy 2, which we'll look more at next week. Well, in 1973, our own denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, separated from the Presbyterian Church United States in, and I quote, in opposition to theological liberalism, which denied the deity of Jesus Christ and the inerrancy and authority of Scripture. Elders in this local body of Second Presbyterian Church worked hard and often through many tears as they left the old liberal denomination, many of whom had grown up in that as children. But they realized that that Presbyterian Church United States, which became Presbyterian Church United States America, had embraced egalitarian principles. And when it says in their statement that they deny the deity of Christ, that's the Presbyterian Church United States, and the inerrancy and authority of Scripture, what does that mean then in terms of what their view is of Scripture? I mean, they have a high view of Scripture if they deny the inerrancy and authority of it, or they have a low view of it. It means they have a low view of it, right? And so what happens is in those types of theological frameworks is you start picking and choosing what's acceptable and what's easy to teach and what people will readily receive instead of what the Bible actually says. Part of this certainly was back in 1956, actually. It's been a long time ago. Uh, That was the year that there was, in the Presbyterian Church, United States was the first ordained woman. So what does Scripture say on this? Let's go to what the Bible says. I want us to look at the specifics of biblical manhood and womanhood in the church. And again, we're going to come back to that again in two weeks. But first of all, let's look at what both men and women can both do in the local church. So turn with me if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 12, 
1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. Verse 4 begins, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but of the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what we see in the early church of Corinth is the same today, that God, through the Holy Spirit, gives gifts. And both men and women, as it says in verse 7, are to use their gifts for the common good. In other words, as you live out your life and the life of the church as men and women, you will be building up, you'll be edifying the church, you'll be helping keep it healthy and grow the church. This means that men are edified and encouraged not just by other men, but also by women, and women are edified and encouraged by men in the local church. Even though edification and encouragement can be accomplished by both genders, it doesn't mean that you do so in a genderless fashion. For God has specifically gifted the woman in certain areas that will be a blessing to the life of the church and vice versa for the man. Let me go back briefly to verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Part of what I want to say on that is be who you are in Christ and don't try to be somebody that you're not. In other words, God has gifted you specifically in the way that the Holy Spirit has willed, right? And so be content with how the Lord has gifted you and use those gifts in a mighty way in the life of the church and in those around you. You know, just two days ago, a group of ladies came together here to decorate the church for Christmas. And I noticed they didn't ask the men to come, and I'm glad they didn't ask the men to come it wouldn't look nearly as good. Why is that? Because women are called, as we've seen before, to cultivate life, to make things beautiful, to help others flourish. Matt Merker writes, as women serve in the church, generally speaking, they will do so in a feminine or motherly way. They will nurture, enrich, care, beautify, foster relationship, help others listen and fill the church with life. It's part of what women do in the local church. But let's continue on our topic today by looking at how both men and women help build up the body of believers. The most important activity we do in the life of the church is what? Worship. It's the most important thing we will do in the church is to worship the holy and triune God. It's why Sunday is called the best day of the week, right? It's why John Calvin would call it the market day of the soul. 
Let's not neglect the meeting together as a people of God to worship our triune God. So this is a corporate activity where all people, men and women, participate in worship. Children, too. We sing together. We pray together. We partake of the sacraments together. We sit under the preached word together. There's much spiritual good that can come from being in corporate worship together. There's also much spiritual good that can come from the fellowship of the saints. As the older encourage the younger, as the men encourage the men, as the women encourage the women, as the men encourage the women, as the women encourage the men. Do you follow me along all that? It's important. So how can a man encourage a woman? Well, let's say by praying for them. Let's also say that we're encouraging biblical femininity in the church as men when we live out our roles in an honorable way, an exemplary way, in a God-honoring way that encourages biblical femininity in the women of the church. But both men and women can also pray, and I'll even say pray publicly. We see examples of women praying in Acts 1.14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Again, we read later in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Certainly you think about the uh, Anna in Luke 2, who was at the temple day and night, and what was she doing? She was praying. So the idea here is that men and women gather together for prayer. Now to be sure, in our local body of believers, we don't have women leading in prayer in corporate worship. Why is that? Well, it's because when you're, when you're in a public worship service, in a corporate worship setting, whoever is in the pulpit, whether it's preaching or praying, is in a, in a position of authority, so to speak, right? And so, as, as one who is up there praying, you're actually leading the people before the throne of grace as the people of God, praying to God. However, I will say that Wednesday night is very different, right, in our prayer meeting together. It's not a worship service, but it's rather a prayer meeting, open to all, and encouraging all ages, young and old, male and female, to come and present your requests to God. It's a wonderful thing to hear both men and women in the public prayer meeting of the local church, praising God, presenting requests to God, praying to God. So we've seen the importance of women participating in the life of the church through corporate worship and also through prayer, but there's many other ways that women can serve in the local church. We think about mercy and compassion ministry, hospitality, teaching, evangelism, serving on committees, counseling, serving as missionaries. Let's go through some of these one by one. One, women can use their gifts in mercy or compassion ministry. Susan Hunt writes, a redeemed woman's sanctified female instincts cause her to see the troubled and grieving even if they are suffering in silence. Her helper heart pities the weak and needy, and her helper hands find ways to rescue and comfort. Functioning under the oversight of those who are in positions of leadership in God's church, she does what she was created to do. 
you see the pattern here? If woman was created as an azer, as a helper, well, she's not only doing that in the home, she's doing that in a beautiful and a wonderful and a marvelous way in the life of the church as well. Notice how she's applying her helper design in the life of the church for those that are in need of care. Of course, one example in the life of this church of something that was created and designed a ministry to help those that are suffering is the Cornelia ministry, uh, which is under the oversight of the Pastoral Care Committee. Uh, this actually was created, a ministry was created back about a decade ago. And many of you are already involved in this ministry. Some should consider it. Uh, the goal of this ministry is to provide help through compassionate hearts to minister to those in need. This is both men and women that can participate in this. But it's helping specifically the elderly in their time of need when they're not able to get out and see other folks and, and uh, be a part of fellowship of the saints. It's also helping other people in need. There's been times where they have helped certainly younger mothers and other people within the life of the church. The Cornelia ministry provides a wonderful opportunity to serve and show compassion in the local body. But women can also use their gifts to show hospitality. This is displayed when you invite people over to your home. It's displayed when, in the life of the church when ladies come together to decorate and prepare uh, this gymnasium, also known as the fellowship hall, big fellowship hall in our church, uh, for receptions, for ordination receptions, for uh, members, new members' luncheons. I've seen the women, as you have too, in this local body that have transformed this ordinary gymnasium into an extraordinary reception hall where it looks totally different. These are wonderful examples of how ladies in our church beautify and use their gifts to make things look better. Many women are also gifted in the area of teaching, and they should be teaching, uh, specifically women and children. It's not, it is true that women should not teach men in the context of the church. Now, why is that? Well, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. We'll look more at that verse next week, but the, uh, what it's saying there is that to teach denotes a position of God-given authority. And so a woman is not to teach over a man. So in this local body, how is that fleshed out? Well, it means that you won't have a woman teaching men in the context of Sunday school communities. But there are many ways that women who are gifted in teaching should do so. There's opportunities with children in Sunday school or Wednesday night There's opportunities to help teach and lead in vacation Bible school. There's opportunities to teach other women in the context of women's Bible studies and circles. In this way, she's using God-given gifts to edify and build up the local church. Women may also be involved in intentional one-on-one discipleship, such as commended in Titus 2, 3 through 4. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So much opportunity for women to serve in this way and intentionally pursue the next generation. 
A woman may be gifted in the area of counseling and may involve herself in helping build others up in their faith that are struggling. Uh, Some women may find it hard to meet with men to discuss difficult issues or trials. This is where women can be used to help, certainly under the oversight of the local session, to help those in their time of need. Women can also be involved in sharing the gospel and evangelizing the lost, thus helping to fulfill the Great Commission. We think about wonderful missionaries on the field. Think about Katie Upton, right, who's in Africa uh, right now, serving the Lord, spreading the gospel through the Rafiki Foundation there in Africa. So many examples, even in history, where this has taken place and been a wonderful God-honoring, glorifying thing. We have women, I see Hugh Player here, who chairs the, admission, the uh, evangelism committee, excuse me, the missions committee. And on his committee, there are women to help uh, make decisions about missionaries to support and how much. We have others that have been involved more recently in the past year in starting a Bible study here at the Link Apartments. There have been women involved in that to help share the good news with women over in that apartment building that are not yet believers. What a wonderful ministry that is. We have other women who are involved in the women in the church, the WIC ministry, which is an important ministry, a vital ministry, I will say, in the life of the church. Others are involved on other committees. If you look at um, our local session, is comprised of eight committees. I believe I'm correct in saying there's at least one woman on every single session committee. Why is that? Because they have a different perspective at times, and they offer wisdom where we need it, and it's important that we work together. The committee that I serve on, for example, has the WIC president, but also a member at large who is also a woman. So what are we saying here? There's wonderful opportunity for both men and women to serve in the local church. But when we say that, we also are recognizing that there's also distinctions that are made, right? Just as there are distinctions in the home in terms of duties or functions or responsibilities, so there is in the church. And if we take the Bible for what it says, which is God's holy, inerrant, inspired, life-giving word, then we will take heed to obey that as best we can, using our gifts in the local body to further the kingdom in this place. Let me just pose a question for just a moment uh, as we conclude. Uh, Think about um, your life in the context of the church and where women, in your estimation, have just done a beautiful job serving, building up the body of believers, maybe meaning particularly a lot in your own personal life. Anybody want to share an example of that? Yeah. Uh, pointing the end when I got hurt. Yes. People taking care of me. And, yeah. And I have new, I have uh, lifelong friends because of that. And, you know, mo- most of the, they're older than me, mostly like motherly figures. Yeah. That have had a huge impact. Yeah, how, it's a big deal. How long was it you weren't able to drive? Five months. Yeah, so. Two surgeries. Two surgeries, foot and leg for Mark, not able to drive for five months, cornea stepped right in, right? Made a huge difference, indeed. Anybody else? I certainly had a... Malcolm. When Carol was sick, a teacher sent me in the hospital with her, and they had him to his run, 
and the money I was money came to the house. They they brought food. Uh, they washed my floors, cleaned my bathroom. Um, a group of men came over, I think half a dozen, weeded all my yard. Um, I so much to be thankful for. Hmm. Indeed. Anyone else? Hmm. Hmm. It's good. Yeah. Uh, my grandmother was lifelong children's special teacher in Great Britain. I was born for teaching school in Italy as well. Hmm. She also served in Italy in the Second World War. She died in Taiwan. Wonderful. Indeed. Yeah. Rob? I think of my mom specifically and the Good News Club. Okay, yeah. She led me to salvation at five years old in a neighbor's basement after they had a Good News Club for a local church. Hmm. To this day, she's 76 years old and she's still serving in public schools in New Jersey. Good News Club, evangelizing the children in public schools, absolutely. Jacob, Jacob didn't just have one mommy; he had ten moms in this church. It's true, though. You know, and it, 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 that's a beautiful picture of the covenant family at work. You know, when a child is baptized, what, what's the vow that we take as a congregation? To support the parents, right? To come alongside, to help instruct. We're not replacing what the parents do in the home as a primary teacher, but we're supporting, we're encouraging. So we can all do that as men and women. Uh, in the life of the church with children. So journeying alongside them in a difficult journey with uh, numerous hospital visits and stays and 600 miles away. And, you know, so much of what we're hearing involves compassion, right? And if, if we have passion for the Lord and zeal for the Lord and serving Him, it will carry over into us having compassion for the family of God. Let me say this in closing. You know, a, a healthy home, as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, really consists of a godly husband and a godly wife, right? Living out God's design in the context of the home. Well, so is a church healthy when you have godly men and godly women who are serving together, yes, in different roles, but different roles in the home too, right? Serving together to further the gospel, to impact the next generation for Christ and to live for his glory. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. 
We thank you for the truths that are in it. We pray, Lord, that you would help us by your grace to live them out. Thank you, Lord, for the ministry of women that we have seen in this local body that others have mentioned here today in other contexts, whether it was growing up or Good News Club and in different ways. We thank you for the godly influence of women in our lives. We pray that you would bless them for it. We pray for the ladies in this room, Lord, that you would help them, Lord, in ministering in their own homes, but also in serving, Father, in the life of the church, making it beautiful, make others, others flourish, encouraging those who are going through difficult times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.